How's it, guys? How's it, Nick? Lucky to have you all back here. Thanks for tuning in this week with us. It's me, Nick. And as you've already heard, my sometimes moronic buddy, Ronnie, here in the background. Moroni. Moroni. So we are back in Ronnie's kitchen, a la Escom. They've dished up some lacquer load shedding. What are we, stage four? Did you, you just mention now that this is the third week now that we've started off and we've spoken about ESCOM, but, but that just goes to show that it's become a real issue. It really has become an issue. But I must say, I had a pretty good Monday. I was in a very festive mood today. Must have something to do with England and the Bulls losing. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But a pretty good weekend. We went out on Friday night, Rocket 88. Haven't been there in a long time. That's a very, very South African spot, eh, Ronnie? Yeah, I just kind of like it. Like you say, we haven't been out for a couple of beers in a while. Now it's obviously here and there. We found ourselves at a rugby game, had a couple of beers. But on Friday night, we just decided it's beer time. So that was nice to go and just sit there and, well, I suppose drink beer. Yeah, drink beer. And their menu is pretty like, I mean, it's it's like a braai menu. So you can have whatever meats you want, whatever sides you want and make up a braai plate. Yeah, look at the mic when you when you tell people that. You don't have to tell me. Tell the mic. I have to tell them. We've already discussed that you're more Ronnie, Ronnie. And you, you played some golf on Saturday. Did you finally beat Shane? I don't actually know. It's a good question because on the front nine, I didn't do so well. Obviously, thank thank the Pope for, for handicaps. Otherwise, I'd never beat him. But when we played Stableford points, I got really close. And I think in the back nine, I did really well. So yeah, I broke 100, which is pretty much all I could ask for at this stage. Yeah, well done, Ronnie. I'm, as we've discussed many times, pretty crap at golf. Being said, lack of weekend all around. Should we delve into some of the rugby that's been going on? I think Curry Cup started this weekend, so maybe that's the best place to start. 42-19 win on the road for the Cheetahs over the Griquas. Pretty loaded Cheetahs team. Yes, I got this one wrong. And because last season, I didn't back the Griquas and I didn't back the Pumas. So in both cases, when I didn't back them, I got the call wrong. So this year I was like, you know what? From the start, I'm going to back the Griquas. I'm going to back the Pumas. And it obviously didn't pay off for me with respect to the Griquas versus Cheetahs. Cheetahs, well done to them. I mean, it's good to see them winning. We want them to win. Maybe not at the expense of the Griquas, but look, the Cheetahs are still, well, they're number five. They're our fifth favorite team at the moment. And yeah, look, well done to them. Yeah, well, talking about number five, there were five tries in that game to three from the Griquas. But there were also five yellow cards and one red card in that game, which is a bit unbelievable and pretty terrible discipline. Cheetah's taking four of the five yellows. Are you reading your notes from your agenda there? Is that what's happening? Handwritten notes. Correct, yes. So how do you know that's a five and not an S or a, or a 22 or something? Because your handwriting's terrible. Yeah, you see, but I write it like this so you can't steal my notes, Ronnie, and sound like the clever one on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's some shocking discipline for a Cheetahs team that was pretty heavily loaded. You know, they were using this game sort of to prep for the Challenge Cup. They're back in action in the Challenge Cup last 16 on the 1st of April. But I mean, 22-0 at halftime, 17 points from Ruan Pinar. He just does not look like he's slowing down. Is he going to play Springboks? No. 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 Okay. Are, are you putting out a bold call on this podcast that Ruan Pinar no, is going to think, for the box? No, look, we've got we've already spoken about how many bloody scrum offs we take every time on turn five or whatever. So I don't think he's got a chance at scrum off, but fly half? Yeah, I think that's a bit of a stretch, Ronnie. Okay, yeah, well, well let's agree. Mono staying before Ruan Pinar, right? No, for sure. For sure. Okay. Mono's in the frame. But I mean, Ruan Pinar, 87 cap Bach, he's still playing there alongside Franz Stein. Great to see Stein back in action as well. And like you say, you know, Cheetahs is everyone's second team, so great to see them getting a win and starting the Curry Cup off well. And then, Ronnie, we move over to Sharks v. Griffins. 
over at Kings Park. Sharks getting a 32-16 win. But it was not smooth sailing. When I checked the score at halftime, 13-10 in favor of the Griffins, I was a little bit worried there. I agree. And we spoke about, we almost jinxed it last weekend. I think when we said, oh, you know, rugby seems to be all over the place. For all we know, Sharks are going to lose to the Griffins. And you said it. You've given me a lot of crap over the last couple of months or years saying that the Sharks are the world's most average team. But they are. Really struggling there. That's, that's definitely true, Ronnie. I have to give you that. But fortunately, they came out strong. They scored a good win there. Funny enough, five of their six tries were from the rolling ball, which is something we complained about in the URC was not an effective mechanism for the side. But now in the Curry Cup, you know, they're doing quite well. Fezim Bata, he had a storming performance, young 21-year-old hooker. Actually, Joey Mangalo, the, the Curry Cup coach, coming out and saying that he should be a springbok in the coming years. He's a really talented player, one of the most talented he's ever coached. Agreed. Let the main thing stay the main thing, right? South African rugby is good with its rolling malls, with its form, forwards dominated play, and the Sharks are full of, 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 of springboks. So that's going to rub off to the rest of the players. So I think when, when the likes of the Sharks and other teams playing well, forward dominated rugby bodes well for the springboks. Yeah, that's always the case. And, you know, Curry Cup squad's a bit stretched at the moment, but they're getting the job done. And on the squad topic, we'll talk about it now because Province away in Joburg got a 44-28 win over the Lions. You know, this is the only side that has the same coach through the Heineken Cup, the URC and the Curry Cup. Province. Taking control. Yeah, Province. And, you know, you could see a lot of the Stormers' skill set showing through now. They were scoring similar tries, playing similar patterns. And compared to their performance last year, where they only managed three wins in the Curry Cup, off to a good start. I think that's a, that's a masterstroke. What you want you is you want some, uh, what's the word, some commonality amongst all your teams. I mean, at the end of the day, Province, Stormers, you know, the Sharks, whether they're playing Curry Cup or Challenge, Champions Cup or URC, you want some commonality amongst them. I suppose it's difficult for, for the coach to be playing, to be coaching different teams at different times. But if everybody's on the same page, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to do really well for your first string team in the top competition. Yeah, I think Dabo is actually just treating it as one giant squad that he's training. Same blueprint for all the games, same blueprint for their training. And it's going to pay dividends in the long run because you're going to have that succession plan in place as well with a lot of youngsters being deployed in the Curry Cup. Cade Volherter, 19 points and man of the match. He's someone our buddy Shaden said, you know, we had big career ahead of him. Someone I'm not entirely sold of. I haven't really seen him wow yet to sort of steal a fly half role. But maybe this is the opportunity he needs to to make as a name for himself. Yeah, I know Shane spoke about that, but then, he, then I think Volherter injured himself and we haven't seen much of him. But yeah, look, we'll, we'll wait and see. And then, Ronnie, the thing that brings me the greatest joy ever, and because it was so big, I'm going to start with a halftime score. At halftime, Pumas led the Bulls 27-8. At full time, the Pumas were winning 63-15 at Loftus. I don't know what to say other than shame. Poor Bulls. Yeah, that was humbling. I don't want to say it because I actually personally feel that the Bulls are my second team. If not the Sharks, I'd support the Bulls because We've look. got that on record. Yeah, but ticks off next, we live in Pretoria. Let's be serious sure, now. Sure, sure, sure. Let's be serious now. But, you know, you want the Bulls to do well, but you also want Stonehouse and, and what he's doing with the Pumas there to do really well. They are, they are the defending champs, so they've got a bit of motivation going into this season. Good to see a win for the Pumas. Let's just hope that for South African rugby's sake that the Bulls don't fall away. For sure. I think you can never discount a Bulls union with the strength they have. 
But I found it quite funny that on Friday, the Pumas commented on one of my posts on Instagram about the lion being loose after the... Wait, you're just blowing your own horn now. Yes, but they commented there and they said, wait for Sunday, there'll be 23 Pumas on the loose in Victoria. (laughs) And then this today, I was like, yo, you guys weren't kidding. They said, no, we're here to show we're not one-hit wonders. So that's really great. And and yeah, guys, as I said on Instagram, we're coming to Mbombela if you guys are hosting the final. Absolutely. For sure. That's without a doubt. And then, Ronnie, what did you think of that bull side? Is it, you know, a total implosion with the Pumas just that good? You know, what do you make of a game like that? Look, it's a long season. It's big squads. It's it's just people finding their feet. Curry Cup's now a new competition. It's a new set of goals that they have to focus on. It's getting the team aligned and looking forward to that same goal. And I think it's just going to take one or two or three rounds and then they'll be in it again. But look, I don't think we can say that it's necessarily the Bulls being so terrible. Or I think rather it's it's the Pumas that are performing really well. And I think we have to give credit where credit's due. They played an exceptionally dominant game and they got what they deserve. They put a really good score on the scoreboard. Yeah, very well done to the Pumas. I think you guys deserve a huge round of applause for this weekend's performance. Very keen to watch how you go on in the Curry Cup further. Ronnie, then we look at the Six Nations. Now, this week, Six Nations really has a lot to talk about. I think we need to unpack some of these games in depth a little bit. So let's take a start with the sort of wooden spoon fixture of the weekend. Wales 29-17 Italy. Yeah, so I noticed that the majority of people on Superbrew backed Italy for the win including yourself. Do you want to walk us through what you were thinking? You know, watching this competition, you've seen Italy play some good attacking rugby. You've watched them sort of get there, but fall away in the last 60 minutes, very young side. And I just felt in a game like this, where you've got Wales who are a bit of a shambles at the moment, a lot going on behind the scene. You've got Italy who are on the rise, despite not having the results to show for it. I thought Italy was going to take it at Stadio Olimpico. And I mean, they won in Wales last year. So you think it was more a case of Italy being, you know, with a bit of momentum behind them, potentially coming away and taking the W, as opposed to Wales collapsing? Correct, yeah. I thought I thought Wales would be as we've seen them. Wales actually showed quite a bit of grit in this game, and I think a bit of an attitude change from the side, actually, to sort of come out and, and put on a bit of a stronger performance. But coming out of this game now, there's been some interesting comments from Kieran Crowley, the coach of Italy. Mm. visibly frustrated and then coming out and saying you know how does a team like Wales give away 19 penalties six of them being in the Italian in the Welsh 22 sorry and they're not even put on a warning once by the ref you know he's now spoken out he says you know he's tired of going through the correct channels and then just getting sorry you know we got it wrong I think a lot of people say two South Africans on a podcast sour grapes you know Rassi Rasmus this that and the other but look, if other coaches are saying, and it's not just Kieran Crowley that's been saying, other coaches have also complained about the officiating, about the processes of reviewing calls post-game. World Rugby needs to do something, and they haven't done something. I mean, it started way back with, with Rassi and the British and Irish Lions tour, and nothing's been done since. There needs to be a better review. It's not just a case of, oh, sorry, we got it wrong. I think that's what Kieran Crowley said, that... World Rugby comes in and says, oh, sorry, yeah, we got it wrong. Oops. No, exactly. I think, it. you know, when something like this comes up now, Rassi Rasmus's name is always going to be thrown around. But take Rassi's antics out of it. There's clearly a problem with how the rules are being enforced because this is a problem you're seeing creep up in different ways from different coaches, from different players. 
And it's something that needs to be addressed. There needs to be more accountability on the part of the referees. There needs to be better visibility for the public in terms of how these referee reviews are handled, you know, that you can actually see change being implemented because a lot of questionable calls keep coming up and they're having big impacts on the outcomes of games. For me, it's quite a simple solution. I mean, we're not going to get it right by the, with the on-field referee or the on-field officiants. You know, they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to make a better calls on the day. I think a second TMO is required. One that's, one that's reviewing the game live and, and flagging any incidents that they think. And a second one that's obviously viewing in slow motion that which the first TMO has flagged. I think that's where we're going to see an improvement. I think we need to take the technology that we have and just have two more sets of eyes looking at different angles and making better calls and advising the on-field officials better. And, you know, I think this is a typical problem we have in South Africa in general, not necessarily in sports. We keep making more and more laws to try and regulate things where there are already laws for it. They just need to be enforced correctly. And World Rugby keeps doing that over every year. There's new laws and variations and this and that. Instead of focusing on how they're applied and applying them in the strict sense and equally across the board. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to Crowley now. But yeah, another ref or another coach coming out and, and speaking out against World Rugby and the officials. Sorry, just before you move on, I do want to make a comment though. A lot of people are saying that the referees are required to make a lot of decisions on the field. And we need to simplify the game to to make it easier for the ref. I would like to caution us going down that road because making the game simpler is going to take away from the tactics and, and the strategy as well. I think we can't change our game too much. We need to find a better way of enforcing the already rules that are there, the already laws that are already in place, rather than dumbing them down and making the game simpler. It's just a parting comment. And then, Ronnie, you know... Interestingly enough for me to see Reese Webb get the, the recall for Wales, he hasn't played for them in two years, and he had a massive performance for them. He was all over the place, scoring a brilliant try, typical style of his, of his, and yeah, showing that he was worth the recall. Yeah, he's a little bit of an aged player, and I think this we spoke about it a couple of weeks weeks ago as well. It's age is just a number, right? I mean, a lot of these players are sitting out there; they, you know, they're ready to go. They still got a good number of performances that they can that they can give, and don't discount players. Give them an opportunity to play, and they'll prove themselves. Hundred percent, and he did just that. And then I think last parting comment for me is just that Italy seemed to quite miss Capuozzo. Garbisi struggled to step up into that playmaking role in the counter attack. They really missed him, as we said last week. You know he's out for the remainder of the Six Nations with a shoulder injury, but they'll definitely be looking forward to his return for the World Cup. Two Twickers, 53-10 in favour of France over England. It's it's good to see England getting a hiding from time to time. Right, I mean, this, so we've, we're Springboks, right? We've lost 55-0 to the All Blacks. We've had some big hidings. You know, the English have put hidings on us. And it sucks to lose by 50 points. It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, this was a real shocker. So just some stats out the way before we go on. 2005 is the last time France won in Twickenham. That was 18 years ago. This is England's third worst loss of all time. They once took a 76-0 against the Wallabies in Brisbane and a 58-10 to the box in Bloemfontein. But this is their biggest home loss ever. Their previous biggest home loss was against South Africa when we beat them 42-6 in 2008. Ronnie, England were absolutely blown off the park. 
Yeah, it, it's unfortunate. It, I don't know if it's is it unfortunate or, or fortunate. We spoke about France uh, having a bit of a resurgence after their loss to Ireland. I think that this is going to be a big wake-up call for England, and we're going to see a resurgence from them going into the World Cup. They don't have... The unfortunate thing for England is they don't have big tests lined up before the World Cup, in my opinion. So this was their last real challenging game. But I think that it's going to be a wake-up call. They're going to go back to the drawing board. They are going to pull together. They, you know, Owen Farrell is going to have to pull the boys together. Borthwick's going to have to pull the boys together and say, listen, this is unacceptable. We need to, we can't let this happen again. And I'm going to expect them to be better after this game. Well, Ronnie, you say this is their last big test. I'm going to have to correct you on that. It doesn't get any easier for them as they play Ireland next weekend. So, or this coming weekend, that's a huge fixture for them. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they can bounce back in seven days for an opponent like that. So, correction, what I actually meant was it was a must-win game for England if they wanted to somehow pull some sort of rabbit out the hat and win the Six Nations. Yeah, that's true. But that's a sailed ship now for them. I mean, seven tries for France. Flamin, two. Olivon, two. Peno, two. Penaz one try with that chip kick from Unbelievable. Phenomenal. That is unbelievable. The typical example of Confident. expanding or of breaking down a fractured defense. Having beautiful. the confidence to play, right? It's it's having that confidence to on on, on counterattack because a number of their tries came off counterattack to to turn a fractured defense around, put the ball into the space behind them, chase it up, and then back your pace. It's it's amazing. It's confidence. It's Really, really scary. I actually secretly hope that or wish that they'd actually beaten Ireland because I think that that loss to Ireland really, really motivated France to to take it up another gear. Yeah, they were phenomenal. Thomas Ramos at fullback, he was on fire. They just could not stop that guy. He was everywhere on the field and he obviously won man of the match. But then outside of that, you can look at Aldrit. He's there. He had a massive performance. There's still the three guys that scored two tries each. There's Jonathan Dante. All of them had massive, massive games for France this weekend. And France, like I said last week, really were due a big game. And that's exactly what they delivered now. That was one of my favorite games I think I've ever watched, actually. Yeah, I have to agree. Look, I just felt that France France have, I'll repeat it again, France have a certain amount of, of confidence that they're playing with. And it's scary to see, knowing that we'll, we have there's a high a high possibility that we'll be facing them in the quarters. Yeah, France really looking very very dangerous. That game was in the rain, and they ran the ball like that. But with that said, though, if you think back at school or your time there on LC de Villiers when it was raining, and you could play touch rugby or even contact rugby, that was some of your best game, right? That's also true. People enjoy playing in the rain because you can slide. And if you knock a ball on, people can just blame it on the rain. So you're just playing without fear. That's true. That was a lot of fun. But France really looked like they had glue on that ball versus England, who were dropping every second ball. And then I think we have to visit the the debate now around the English 10. I think this has given yes. Clive Woodward a bit of whiplash by now because he's, yes, Owen's our man. Then Marcus Smith's starting and he's delighted about it. Marcus Smith had a very shit game for England. The- Maybe we can just say Marcus Smith should not be starting at 10 for England. I have to agree with that. I mean, we've spoken about it now a couple of weeks. We've tried to tried to argue for him and putting Owen Farrell at 12. But I think leaving Owen Farrell out of the starting lineup is mistake number one. 
And I think if you put Owen Farrell at 10, I mean, we don't like him, right? We don't like him, but he is a good player. And, and starting him at 10 is just going to bring that stability to the English backline. Yeah, I was quite surprised that Marcus Smith started a game against France because France are a very, a team that thrives on flair. So that's where you want a player like Owen Farrell who can structurally kick them, keep them pinned back, you know, keep the back line in order. And Marcus Smith is someone I would have rather played against Italy and against Scotland, where you can open them up a bit and play a more of an attacking style game. Tactics, I question, but now we see that there's talk of George Ford getting the start this coming weekend against Ireland. Look, I don't think they can go wrong with George Ford. I think, I think, just, I just want to say something about Marcus Smith. He's possibly going to be the flyer for the next World Cup. So let's not, let's hope the English don't force him in too soon and, and, you know, witness a collapse of sorts. Let's let them stick with Owen Farrell and, and possibly George, George Ford. And let's have Marcus Smith dominate the next World Cup because he's still young enough for that. For sure. I have to agree with you on that, Ronnie. And then Sunday's fixture saw Scotland take on Ireland. Ireland coming off 22-7 victors. But what a game from the Scots. Well, 8-7 at half time. You know, it's unfortunate I didn't watch the whole game. I kind of tuned in at the end there. And then to me, I just saw, well, the very, you know, not much was happening in, say, the last 20 minutes or so. But from our discussions and from the highlights and from what I've read, it was quite eventful. There were a lot of things that happened. Yeah, it was, it was a very eventful game. So very, very close in the first half. One point separating the teams when they went into the sheds. Ireland's power came through in the second half and they managed to secure a win, not getting the bonus point though. And the first time in 10 games that Ireland didn't score in the first 10 minutes. So it shows, you know, Scotland had some guts on defence. But when you watch Ireland play, it's like they have rehearsed everything a hundred times. It doesn't matter. Back home at Leinster. And yeah, I mean, the last time some of these players lost, and we've said this before, was against the Bulls in the semi-final of the URC last year. Unbelievable. That's for club and country. So unbelievable from the Irish. They really, really are a well-coached side. And I think it's worth mentioning that my cat is the Ireland attack coach. and. Farrell is the head coach and both were fired from England in 2015 when they had a horror show there. So England, maybe the problem's not your coach. You know, you heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah, it's your rugby union. (laughs) Look, I have to agree that it is the rugby union that's the problem, especially because they let Eddie Jones go. Yeah. I mean, Lancaster, he also moved on to Leinster, had a very successful time there. He's now at racing. And then you also look at Graham Rountree coaching Munster. So maybe it is an internal problem there with the players and the structures. And the coaches are just seeing the bad end of it. I wonder how many more losses it's going to be before Borthwick's in some some hot water with the British press too. Well, look, he's going to be in whatever hot water he needs to be. There's no way that they could find a new coach for the World Cup. I mean, that's just that's going to be ridiculous. No, for sure. And at least he's bigger than Clive Woodward. So Clive will, Clive will have to be a little bit careful. Like physically bigger. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what a game. And then you mentioned there were some interesting things that happened. So... Bit of controversy around Kian Healy playing at hooker. You know, he was he actually announced as a hooker in the squad, otherwise he wouldn't have been allowed to play there. They're saying that he was, not so sure. And then Josh Van der Fleer, is there anything that man can't do? Throwing into the line out and he's a flank. So, so tell me, how successful was he at throwing into the line out? Exceedingly so. Did he get any skew? Any No, not once. Well, that's embarrassing for hookers, right? Because so I played a bit of hooker 48, 14, 15. 
And the problem with being playing at hooker is, you know, every now and again you throw the ball skew and you'd have some ridiculous flanker or something or backline player chirp. So, oh, I could do it better than you. And um, I suppose Van der Fleer just proved that maybe they can. Yep, Van der Fleer certainly did. A man of many, many talents, it would seem. A world rugby player of the year. Yep, living up to the name, eh? And now he's got an extra stat to add to his his CV, which is line-out accuracy. Yep, for sure. But I think Scotland probably lost this game just before half-time. They had a penalty. It was about 44, 45 meters out. Instead of kicking for post, they decided to go for touch, and they failed to score there. was very close in the left-hand corner, but I think they'll come to regret that. And then worth mentioning, Hugh Jones scoring a try. He's having a massive season for Scotland. But the biggest shout-out, I think, must be safe for Stuart Hogg. The age of 30, he earned his 100th test cap for Scotland. 11 away from being their most capped player. Well done, Tim. Look, there's a couple of Scottish players I feel genuinely sorry for. You know, had they been born with other nationalities, I think they would be superstars. You know, good for them, proud of them. And it's just unfortunate that they lost, right? But look, we possibly also need to talk about the fact a couple of weekends, a weeks ago, we spoke about who was going to take the Six Nations. I think I said it was going to be France, but France wouldn't get the Grand Slam. Grand Slam. But it looks like it's going to be Ireland with the possibility of a Grand Slam. Yeah, I said Ireland without a Grand Slam as well. So so you're wrong. So we're both wrong. <laughs> sure, Ronnie. Let's, let's pretend that that's right. Some of, you, some of us are more wrong than the others, though. More Ronnie. More Ronnie. And then Super Rugby. That was a, an interesting weekend as well. We have to, have to give a huge shout out to Fijian Drua. They got a win over the Crusaders. That was phenomenal. They lost last year 61-3 to the Crusaders. And this year they managed to get a win. And even more than that, their fly half, Kemu Valatini, won the game with a penalty. And it was his debut in Super Rugby. No, I honestly, I was shocked. So obviously I didn't watch it. But I expected a thrashing from the Crusaders. So well, firstly, well done to, to Fiji. Well done to the Drua. But what I really wanted to talk about is Crusaders don't seem to be firing this year. Is it because they think they might be losing their coach, their focus is lost? What's the story there? Well, I think the three games so far may be leading some credit to the argument that the Crusaders team really was heavily reliant on Jason Ryan's coaching skills. He turned around the All Blacks when he joined them, and now the Crusaders seeming to struggle a bit there. It's a little bit all over the place. But look, you know what it does is it opens up the Super Rugby a bit. It means that there's not going to be a dominant Crusaders and a dominant Blues. Well, the Blues still are there, but other teams can now win it perhaps. Maybe just definitely not the Highlanders because they seem to be nowhere. Yeah, the Highlanders really having a struggling one. They lost to the Chiefs 28-7. Chiefs actually probably looking like the strongest side in Super Rugby at the moment. Elsewhere, Blues getting a win over the Canes. Canes, oh sorry, Blues not very happy with the Canes try. One of them was awarded very clearly a knock-on beforehand. And they actually posted a meme out, which I did share on Punted. And then lastly, Force 21-18 narrow win over Moana Pacifica. So some interesting results in Super Rugby. And not the runaway competition we predicted, right? Well, that's exactly the point. Like, it's, there's a lot more teams that can compete now. And we just hope that Drua and, and Moana Pacifica can perform, you know, going into the latter end of, of, of this competition. Because it's exciting, right? Let's, let's, let's agree. I mean, we're not biased at all even though the URC is the best competition out there. But Super Rugby's been boring. Yeah, I have to, have to agree with that, Ronnie. 
And then Varsity Cup has dished up some interesting stuff for us. Yeah, no, Varsity Cup's a little bit all over the place. I got a, I copped a lot of flack on the WhatsApp group as well for a couple of my calls. We won't go into who I picked and, and whatnot, but we'll start with the first game that happened last week, Monday. I know we're busy recording during this week's Varsity Cup, but we'll talk about last week. CUT Ixias beating UP Tux 41-39. Ixias. Ixias. Ish. Ixias. Yeah, unbelievable. CUT seems to be, you know, the team to watch. They've literally knocked over the top two best performing sides traditionally. They beat Marty's the week before and now they've taken Tux. Yeah, well, Tux is bottom of the log, I think, so that sucks for them. But uh, so it looks like it's Tux is next. Yes, don't let the Steelies Oaks here. No, look, it's unfortunate. But look, 41-39 would suggest that it's just two teams that can't defend. All they can do is attack. So I suppose for anybody who doesn't isn't a traditionalist would appreciate that exciting rugby. The next game was UJ beating UCT Ikees, which for me is also an upset, right? I mean, Ikees is a dominant team, but and this is a dominant win as well. 43 points to 24 in favor of UJ. So bloody well done to Joburg. Yeah, unbelievable result that, Ronnie. And then uh, University of the Free State, Shimlers, beating Vitz by one point as well. Look, I think this was a good performance in, for Vitz because they haven't traditionally done very well in the competition. And then the Free State's a very strong team too. So to lose by only one point, I mean, that's heartbreaking. But well done to Free State. In the last game, Northwest University Eagles going down to Marty's. So at Proudfoot's team... Pulling, uh, pulling off a W there and uh, coming away with a win. I think that was a very good game, very close game, very exciting. And well done to Marty's for that one. Yeah, it was the Vasi Cups actually dishing up some really, really good rugby. And again, not the traditional wins you'd like to see, which is or you're used to seeing. So it's quite nice to, to bear witness to that and see the smaller teams come up and, and really perform. So maybe maybe just before we move on, at the time of this recording, one game has finished this week. And it's CUT Ixias have decimated UJ 54-12. So Ixias is really the, the team to beat. I mean, they beat Tux last week, Marty's the week before, and this week it's UJ. It's unbelievable. Well done, boys. You guys are having one hell of a season so far. I think you guys can be quite chuffed with that. And then, Ronnie, just to mention, you know, the box calling a couple extra players in for the last few days of the training camp. So there was a call-up for Joseph Dweber, Dion Ferri. Marku van Staden, Ivan Roos, Herschel Jankies, and Grant Williams. Good to see the boys getting aligned. That's that's bolstering up to over 20 that were in camp. I mean, that's phenomenal. Yeah, you've kind of changed my perspective of this camp that's happening now. I think last week or the week before you said we're the only team that's that's in camp at the moment. And I think I think it's perfect timing. What are we, six or seven months out from the World Cup? It's it's the perfect time to be in a camp right now. You don't want it to be too late. It's not too early. It's just, just it's the Goldilocks zone. <laughs> the Goldilocks zone. We're, we're going to stick with that one. But it is. We're the only team I know of that's having an international preseason. I've unheard of. And now they've confirmed the Springbok squad for the World Cup will be named on the 8th of August. So that will be the team that then goes off to face the All Blacks at Twickenham and Wales at the Principality. The final game before the squad naming will be that one-off fixture in bonus Aries. Now, Ronnie, we have two fan topics this week. I decided to pick them. We're going to start with Derek Mannings because that's a quick one. Derek, thank you for writing in. And I guess we both owe you an apology. We have had a chat about this one. You asked us here, 
You keep referring to the Lions as having great assistant coaches. Why is this? They certainly have some Springbok legends in the backroom staff, Jacques Free and Albert van der Berg, but I'm not sure that merits their coaching being great yet. Derek, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. We're a bit biased because these are players we really loved. And... Yeah, so we spoke about this, right? We spoke about a week ago when this topic sort of came up. Nick said to me, we're going to call ourselves out. And I said, yeah, I think this is, it's true. We are just two morons chatting on a podcast. And it's the truth. We love Jacques Free. We especially love Jacques Free because British and Irish Lions, Jacques Free scored that try of the year. Right in uh, front of me. Right in front of you. I mean, you were sitting right there on that try line, so you had terrible seats, but it turned out to be great yeah. seats. <laughs> and look, I, I also love Jacques Free and Albert van der Berg as well. I mean, you were such an aged player that you know, we're big fans of these guys. And obviously, you know, you can get kind of caught up with Swayster Brain and Ackerman and all these previous coaches that you would assume that the Lions just know what they're doing from a coaching perspective. But you're absolutely right. Just because some of the players are big names, great rugby players doesn't necessarily make them good coaches and as I spoke about this last year we asked ourselves which great coach was a great player as well and we struggled to actually name it's being a great coach and a great player that's 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 not something you see often I think the only one truly dominating that is Fabian Galtier captain of a Grand Slam Six Nations team and now captain or coach in France well there we go but outside of that you know you've got Rossi and them that may have some merit but you're right Ronnie they have a lot to prove, Derek, so we give you that one. Thanks for writing in. And then Chalks wrote in to us. Hey, guys, love the show. He has it on download every week, so we really appreciate that, man. Thank you so much for listening to us. For question this week, you asked us, you know, we said the Curry Cups being a lost cause for a lack of better phrase, and it is basically going to be our third teams playing in the competition. I believe this is a great way to build massive depth in each franchise and exposure, exposure for some of the less noticed players to some bigger contract options. Only issue may be, what do these Curry Cup players earn and can the local franchises afford it? Would it be a chance for the ones that are noticed to go and play overseas and chase the money? Ronnie? There's a lot to say here. I, I do firstly want to say that I don't think the Curry Cup is a lost cause. I think maybe you were just very dominant in last week's podcast. So I'm either Debbie Downer. I'm either Karen. No, no, you're the guy that said it's a lost cause. And I was like, no, it's not a lost cause. But I think I didn't articulate myself correctly. I think the Vodacom Cup was, uh, was if you do supply chain, you talk about safety stock. I think it was a buffer, right? And we've now kind of moved the Vodacom Cup out of the frame. And, and fortunately, the Curry Cup has had somewhere to go. It's now filled the role of what the Vodacom Cup used to be. So I don't think it's totally a lost cause. I do think that with all the competitions going on and international duty and a year-round season that Look, you're going to need bigger squads, bigger more depth. You're going to have a lot more players. But it's, like I said, it's just taking on, on what, what the Vodacom Cup used to be. And it is good. We've had Rassi also change my opinion of this when he said, we're sending our players up north and, and to international, to in, offshore, to be trained by those teams under their budgets. So it's good for the Springboks because... We can spend whatever limited budget we have on the players locally, and we can have France and England and Ireland pay for our international players and train them and make them superstars. At the end of the day, we've got a much bigger player base than play for the Springboks and compete internationally. So I don't think it's a total loss cause. I think there's still place for the Curry Cup. I think it's it's going to usurp a number of other competitions. So for me, there's still place for the Curry Cup 
and and look, I'm I'm happy with with the state of South African rugby. Yeah, I think I have to agree with Ronnie. There's definitely place for the Curry Cup, but in terms of contracting and the budgets for it, I think you definitely notice if you watch the Curry Cup this weekend that there's a struggle for that when you're seeing guys. If you take the Sharks for example, Lionel Crenier playing. Uh, you look at Mchunu playing for the Sharks in the Curry Cup. And then you look over at the Bulls. They've got Mornay Stain and Spoon Corsi. And these guys that are all playing a lot of rugby already, turning out in the Curry Cup, which is something you never used to see, shows that the budget is strained. They don't have enough to actually make three squads. It's two and a bit squads. So the budget is definitely constraining them there. Yes, it's great opportunity for the younger players. They're now playing rugby that's on TV. Uh, recruiters overseas can pick them up and like Ronnie said you know that expands our player base but in terms of domestically funding it I think it is a definite challenge for for the unions with the salary cap in place because that does apply to the curry cup as well it extends across all competitions I think where the real struggle is if we haven't spoken about this much on this podcast is the the curry cup first division so it's actually quite interesting when you go see what they're trying to do there I mean there's a lot of teams that that are playing in there, the Falker, you know, SWD, Eagles, all of these teams, along with a couple of international teams. You've got the Diablos coming from Spain, the Diables, or I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but you know, there's, a, there's, there's a Kenyan team in there as well, a Georgian team, and I think that's, that's where they perhaps are struggling, but it's still very exciting to see what they're trying to do for our first division teams. Yeah, it's definitely... I mean, that's just expanding the player base further. But Saru really needs to get their act together because there's a lot of trouble coming now. The Spanish team has pulled out. And Have after they? they kicked out the Israeli team, so the Spanish team going. Is, is playing a political card and also play. I mean, that's unfortunate. We don't like to see that in rugby, but uh, there's, there's, there's more to it than just the game. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, let's not enter the political frame in this, but never good to, to bring politics into sport and exclude a team because of that. So, yeah, Ronnie, I think that's all from us this week. Thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel. Give us a review on your preferred listening platform. And we will catch you back here next week, Wednesday. And send us those fan topics. Yeah. Don't forget to send the fan topics. And Chalks, Derek, drop us your addresses. We'll be sending you guys some merch. Thanks for reaching out. Mm -hmm.